thank you again for listening to the episode. I see that we're getting a lot more viewers now. So, again, thank you so much for paying attention to this podcast. It's still small. We're still learning, but I'm really glad that you guys enjoyed it. And in the last podcast, I forgot to add the background music in, and I was like, oh no, because I already published it. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a day. <laughs> but in general, um, today, we are going to be talking about something that has been an unsolved mystery for well over 60 years. Um, still to this day, it's unsolved. Nobody knows anything about it, and if they do, they're keeping very quiet about the situation. So that makes it harder, I guess, to kind of really even talk about. Um, and I will let you know that the this coming episode that we're getting ready to do does have a lot of disturbing accounts of violence. So if you are sensitive to that, I would say that discretion is definitely advised for this episode. And I do, like I said, I really of course hope you still do listen, but just be careful because I do understand that sometimes things like this can trigger people. So again, I'm just going to say viewer discretion is advised. Alright, so today we're going to be talking about something called the boy in the box, um, also known as America's Unknown Child. Um, Yeah, if that tells you anything about what this is going to be like, just get ready because it's very confusing. (laughs) The whole situation is confusing. Um, This actually happened in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And still to this day, nobody knows anything about it. Um, As of today, not as of today, but as of this year, sorry, um, the boy would be turning 69 years old. So it's been, if I'm thinking correctly, it's been about 62 years or more. since this whole entire thing even arose and become became sorry such a unknown thing um like i said it's been unsolved this entire time still to this day nobody has came forward and there has been no evidence that has arises has arose since (laughs) so yeah um this actually managed to really shake the whole world up. Um, the whole world. Literally the entire East Coast was <laughs> up in arms about this situation because, like I said, it's unsolved. Nobody knows anything about it or anything. So, for such a serious situation, it's just really weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's kind of get into it. Um, basically, The child in question um, was aged three to seven years old. Um, There wasn't really much of a marking as to determine age at that time. Um, He was discovered in 1957 on February 25th, and he was completely naked, and he was battered up and very much alone found in a box. Yeah. no one 
came forward to provide his name. And at that time, there was no reported missing people in that area as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, this is something that has been went over by BuzzFeed Unsolved. It has been put on A&E, The Real Crime. Um, I mean, it has been put on so many TV shows and documentaries because of it being completely dead for decades on end. And it's just, it's insane. <laughs> um, there is a couple of scenarios that people think may have happened. Um, at this time, they are still doing DNA processing on it, which is insane to me. But, yeah. Um, there's lots of really dark and just weird things that have came about this case. So, for example, um, they believe that he may have been a victim of um, human trafficking. Uh, they believe that the parents in question would have been very poor and just couldn't provide for the child. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of really bad situations. <laughs> um, in general, though, there was a guy named Frederick J. I believe his last name is said Bananas. I could be wrong on that. It may be Benonis. Kind of an interesting name. Um, he was the one who found the body and reported it to the police. They believe that he did have some type of involvement, um, but he was 26 year old, um, 26 years old, and he was a college student who did voluntarily take a lie detector test, and he was cleared of his issues. Um, a lot of people, like I said, they believe that the child was a victim of human trafficking who was purchased by a local couple um, to be used for sex. Again, sorry, that's very uh, tragic. <laughs> but the premise comes from a woman who knows the pseudonym of the family and who claims that the couple's daughter has witnessed many horrors that included that boy. Um, yeah, it's just insane. Uh, there's little to no paper trail left on this child. And it's just, it, none, none of it makes sense. <laughs> none of it makes sense at all because it's just so outlandish every way that you look at it. So, um, Let's kind of go along and get into the actual bones of the story to determine what you guys think about what happened. Alright, so the bones of the story is where it gets even more interesting. So like I said, in February of 1957, um, in a place called Fox Chase, Philadelphia, is where the boy was found inside of a large cardboard box, which I will be... Um, I'll <laughs> I want to say I'll be posting photos, I'm not going to be posting photos of the dead body or anything like that, but I will be posting photos of what the boy may have looked like back then. Um, 
that it was actually put off on the side of the road in a patch of woods, wood, bleh, patch of woods off of Susquehanna Road. And the cardboard box itself actually played a huge part of this investigation, as weird as that sounds. Um, they found the cardboard box and it was later determined to be a specific type of baby cradle. And that brand was actually only sold in JCPenney's at the time. So they were able to do a little bit of research on that. But before authorities became aware, um, a fir- first witness who actually came across the body was ultimately did not record it. So there was one person first, and then the second witness later came across to find the body in question. So after the first initial finding that was ignored, um, that's when the second guy ended up finding him and did actually report it to the police, which is the one that I told you about originally, who was a college student who did voluntarily take the lie detector test. So that's a good thing at least. Um, <laughs> yeah, they both were students. The first one, um, he was actually out in the woods checking his muskrat chat, uh, traps back then. So. And then the other one was as you know, the other student who found him. So, um, initially, the second student, which is uh, Benos, uh, Benosis, sorry, <laughs> I cannot say his name, um, did not report the body to the authorities, but then changed his mind the following day. So it did take him a full day to report it, but, you know, I mean, he ended up doing it after all, so it did help. Um, he noticed it was really weird because there was just a lot of traps around the body. So a lot of rabbit traps were scattered around and it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. So when he was going to go hunt the rabbit, he that's when he actually found the box and found the boy upon the box. <laughs> um, he admitted that he had gone in hopes of spying on the girls. This is how he ended up in this area anyway to begin with. Um, spying on the high school girls in the nearby school. So he was still a little creepy because he was in college and he was spying on girls. But, you know, eh, he did the right thing all in all. And, you know, it's granted he didn't do the right thing by spying, but... We found the guy, we found the boy, that's what matters in this case, so, yeah, so he was, like I said, questioned, he passed the lie detector test, and he was ruled out as a possible suspect, suspect, (laughs) so, yeah, um, the age of the John Doe was estimated between the ages of three and seven years old, and he did have several scars on his body, uh, one of the scars was actually shaped like the letter L, and it was located underneath his chin, and the other scars appeared to have been surgically done. So he did have one on his ankle and another one on his groin area, respectively, and they believed that that was from some type of surgery. Um, Appearance-wise, his hair seemed to have been crudely chopped um, recently, actually. So it looks like he just had a fresh haircut the day or the day before, you know, sometime in that 
recent time period before he got killed. Um, so, I mean, there was light colored hair. Um, there's actually still found on his clothing. So they believe that he may have had the hair cut the same day. Um, he also appeared to be in a state of severe malnourishment. And furthermore, like because of that, the investigators did release that his eye colors were blue and his hair color was a medium to light brown. And he did have very neatly trimmed nails. I mean, everything about him, other than the fact that he was very severely malnourished, was very well taken care of. And I do know that there are children that they just look malnourished. They're just tiny little children because they run and burn all these calories. So, I mean, it very well may have been something in that nature. So, you never know. Um, but after that, the discovery of the body in the discarded box actually led to opening an investigation into the matter. Um, they had his fingerprints taken and they checked in the database hoping that they would find some type of match, whether it be a family member or something of that nature. And the initial optimism of the case would be solved soon, um, very much waned very quickly. So they had all this optimation, <laughs> optimation, optimism that everything was going to be solved and here we are 60 some years later and it's still not so and it became very frustrating especially to the investigators on site so since the beginning of the case um the investigation didn't receive wide 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 widespread attention in philadelphia and the delaware valley investigators ended up putting much effort into finding the boy or identifying the boy I'm sorry they the Philadelphia Inquirer actually released over 400,000 flyers with the boys drawing likeness of him so they did take very good effort into identifying who this was but again nobody talked so it did cause some issues the police actually did a thorough investigation of the crime scene as well, and the only thing that was actually found was a blue corduroy cap, a scarf, and a handkerchief with the letter G in the corner of it. So yeah, they actually brought out 270 academy recruits to help find or identify more information to do anything that they possibly can with this boy. They ended up also creating a bust of the boy with um, plaster. That way they would be able to take it with them on investigations if they run across anybody to ask them if they knew who this was. Um, that way they can even possibly find the father likeness in the boy to see if maybe they can find a relative of some sort. Um, unfortunately, the traces literally led to nowhere. So, that was very, very sad. Um, <laughs> on March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a facial, facial reconstruction of the boy, and they actually added him into the database. Hopefully, someone in that case would be able to find him. And as of August 2018, after helping in the identify, 
identify, goodness gracious, in the identification of the alleged Golden State Killer, genetic genealogist Barbara Ray Venter stated that she is going to try to establish an identity for the boy as well. So, if they can find the Golden State Killer, hopefully to God that they'll be able to find this boy and know who he is. Um, so, some interesting pieces of evidence in this um, case is that the boy may have had chronic and had a chronic eye element. Um, he had not eaten within two to three hours of his actual death. Um, his death was caused by multiple blows to the head. There was a, a faded cheap flannel blanket he was found wrapped in, and it was made in either North Carolina or Quebec, Canada, and it was also mass-produced and shipped to multiple locations. And his esophagus contained a dark brown residue. Um, this possibly indicates that he may have vomited shortly before his death. So, yeah. Lots of sad. So, let's kind of get into the theory. So, theory one. <laughs> There's multiple theories, so I do apologize. <laughs> um, theory one was that he was part of a foster home. Um, so, during the investigation, a foster home located roughly about a mile and a half from the location that the body was found. Um, three years after this investigation, in 1960, an employee of the medical examiner's office named Remington Bristow, who pursued brain closure to the case up until his death in 1993, um, he contacted a psychic from New Jersey who informed him to look for a house that ended up resembling the Foster's house. Um, upon being later taken to the location of the body discovery, the psychic brought Bristow to the foster home. So, that's the thing. I mean, that one's not necessarily as uh, liable, I guess, as the others, because it did involve a psychic. Not saying the psychics aren't real, I do believe they are, but, you know. <laughs> um, now that they looked into the foster home, Bristow intended an estate sale at the house, and they discovered that there was a baby cradle similar to the one that was sold at the JCPenney's at the time. So, that made it a little creepier. Um, ow, I just hit my hand. Oh, that really hurt. <laughs> um, they also noticed tons of blankets that were hanging on clothesline that actually resembled the ones that the boy was wrapped in. So, they do believe that he, um, the boy was... Belo well, sorry, the boy belonged to the stepfather of the man who actually ran the foster home, whose name was Arthur Nicoletti. So, he elaborated further that he might have gotten rid of the child to prevent his stepdaughter from getting exposed to... How do I say this? Exposes an unwed mother. That's the best way to explain that. <laughs> Back then, having a child without being married was a huge deal, and it was looked down upon quite often, so. Um, ultimately, the theory cannot be proven correct due to this circumstantial evidence, and due to the fact that it was um, a psychic that could not really be verified at the time. So, those were actually ruled out very quickly. <laughs> um... Theory two is the woman known only as M, the letter M. 
So in February of 2002, another theory came about by a woman identified only as M. And while her story seemed plausible, the history of her mental illness was greatly affected. So that kind of put this in a little bit funny. So um, according to M, her mother had subjected the boy to several physical and sexual abuse for almost three years. So this boy lived with the lady whose name was M and he ba- they basically had him from birth until the summer in 1954 which would have made sense but you know um they also described the boy as being handicapped and unable to speak so he may have even been mute um they further elaborated that one evening the boy had gotten sick and vomited up his dinner, which resulted in a severe beating by the abusive mother. Following the beating, um, the lady, M, alleged that the boy was bathed afterward, during which is when he passed away. So that's interesting. <laughs> she did give, um, she did match all the information that was collected by the police in the original investigation. Additionally, his fingers did actually get wrinkled from water exposure, so, I mean, it was a very plausible situation. They also, the lady did actually also match the contents of the boy's stomach. Um, That was never released by the investigation as well, so that was definitely um, very interesting. Um, They actually also... Um, So she continued on with this investigation and giving information to the investigators that they did say that the boy's hair was recently cut also. Um, So the lady did say that the boy did have very distinctively long hair and that it was cut. So it's kind of creepy that she knew everything. Then the mother actually forced him to help her dispose of the body in the area, which is where they ultimately found the boy. And according to him, she was also made to stand and block the motorist's view of the license plate while her mother politely convinced the motorist that they did not need any help. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. Everything that she said is very interesting and just weirdly in tune with what happened. So, that's a thing. <laughs> but, like I said, I mean, there's still everything just, just doesn't make any sense. And what was found with the boy and with theories of them being foster homed, with the theory about him. There's also theories about him being in some type of human trafficking situation. Um, There's theories of him just being a runaway homeless child. I mean, everything, you can look up this story for hours and hours and hours on end and just have theories after theories after theories and there's not really one set theory, if that makes sense. So, um, but, there is actually a burial site for him. He was buried in a potter's field. And he was recently um, exhumed, actually, in 1998 to 
extract some DNA from a tooth. So hopefully that, I mean, hopefully that did add on to something that hopefully we'll be able to find. So, um, but yeah, uh, this has had so many media coverage. Um, they've been on television series like The America's Most Wanted, and he's been on CSI, Special Victims Unit. I mean, there's been people who has done all kinds of cases about this. But if you do know anything about this case, um, I do urge you to contact the Philadelphia County Medical Examiner's Office or the Philadelphia Police Department Homicide Division. Any information can be so helpful in this case. And hopefully we'll be able to find where this boy goes from. Um, like I said, every, till this day, the case is still ongoing. So it has not been closed out. It's just very unsolved at this point. Um, there is agency phone numbers. If you look them up, there's case numbers. I mean, anything that you can do to help, that would be amazing. And it's just, I just can't imagine <laughs> what it would be like, you know. But that's a little bit of the story about the boy in the box. And I will be posting a photo of what was posted on the missing and exploited children for the National Center. And if you know anything or anything like that, please reach out. <laughs> it would be very helpful, of course. Just lay some families to rest and lay the county to rest at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you want more information on this, I can do another episode about some different theories as to the situation, go into more detail, whatever you decide, but this one definitely was a hard episode just because it was very sad <laughs> and everything just was sad about it. So, again, I do hope that you guys. Have a great day, and thank you so much for watching.